afternoon to everyone joining us live. Um, welcome to the latest episode of Trend Detection Live. Um, I'm really pleased to, for, that my colleague Peter O'Hara has joined me today on a great day that it is Valentine's Day as well. So spending time with me, it's probably not top of his list, but <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. I'm sure we'll have some fun for the next half an hour. So that'll be great. Um, so we're covering a really important topic, a really interesting topic about actually what makes a successful predictive maintenance customer and who better than Peter to do that. So if you could just introduce yourself, Peter, briefly, that'd be really good. Yeah. Hello, folks. Um, Peter O'Hara. I'm a customer success manager here at Sensei. So my aim is to work with customers to help them use our application more, to onboard more assets, to use more, uh, add more users, to take learning from one site, replicate them to the next site, and basically never stop until everything's connected and everybody's using it. Fantastic. And like I said, I did promise, uh, I did say that there's someone better than Peter, customer success manager, to talk about the perfect PDM customer. <laughs> so <laughs> really happy that you've um, you've joined us today. I'll just, just a bit of housekeeping before we start. I always forget this, but we do have a chat function. Um, we won't do a, a, a chat, uh, sorry, a Q&A at the end, like any formal Q&A. So just put your questions in the chat and I'll share them with Peter sort of as we go along. So please feel free to do that. But so to get started, I guess let's sort of take a step back a bit first of all, Peter. And I guess um, a key um, a key thing customers have to think about is whether I mean, do you think predictive maintenance is truly sort of understood? Because I guess you have to have some sort of understanding of predictive maintenance in order to become a a successful customer, no doubt. Yeah, um, I think I might be the wrong person to ask about this one because generally. By the time I'm working with customers, they've been through the sales process and they they know what they're signing up for. So uh, most of the people I meet are probably already uh, aligned with you know what we want to do. But I know back in the, the little distant past when I was more involved in sales, actually going out and finding customers and trying to take them from their understanding of what they think it could be towards what will actually make it successful. Uh, can be a little bit tricky, a little bit having to align them with, uh, you know, ways that we know will will help things work uh, faster and obviously be more successful. But and, that, and that's a very interesting point. So maybe, but to save myself from you know the embarrassment of asking that <laughs> that question might, might not be appropriate. But actually, I guess maybe to rephrase that question is when when people do come to your point, when obviously the you know the project's launching, and you're helping to manage that sort of onboarding um, process mm -hmm. is whether, I guess it's whether they've picked up ideas about predictive maintenance from other, let's say other vendors, if they've tried pilots before or projects before with other vendors and they've got an idea in their head that maybe that's followed its way through that, that sales process. Yeah, I think sometimes there, there can be. I, I guess the, the area that we try to steer customers away from is the idea that right we want a pilot project we want to see if this uh software works we want to test it on two three assets over here uh before we actually commit to a nice big deployment and um so we, we have that side of things and the other side of things is sometimes you have customers who think right they're using artificial intelligence machine learning so we don't know why this stuff is failing so if we throw enough data 
at their computing, they will tell us, uh, you know, we'll solve all our problems, tell us why things are failing, and uh, it'll be, you know, an amazing voyage of discovery. Whereas, you know, really, I like to think that the algorithm is designed by humans, and if a human can't spot what's wrong with your components, then I don't expect artificial intelligence to uh, necessarily catch it. Although we have managed to get a number of uh, good detections in our time of things that would surprise me if you told me that that was going to uh, detect particular failures. And, it, and is that I mean, is that part of the issue, I guess, where maybe some some organisation or some people feel that it, it should be the software's job to do, you know, to find to find those failures, and it's not a human. It doesn't require much human input. But obviously, what we talk about Sensei is actually the human input is is, is vital as well for the you know prior context for a start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the one of the phrases that we use, which I really like, is that we're a decision support system and what we mean by that is that we can you know we can detect failure modes but the system isn't necessarily saying right you must go and fix that tomorrow because we might be detecting an early stage of a failure mode and you might be able to plan uh you know a couple of months in advance um when you you would most like to um you know change out components maybe we're just um alerting you based on some very easy to get hold of data and you want to then go and investigate this thing uh, in a little bit more detail and then plan your maintenance. I think that, you know, we have we have some customers who have you know, really long failure modes um, and we, we have other customers who, uh, you know, they might only um, shut their equipment off maybe once a year. So, you know, they have to they have to get their their equipment uh, to change out lined up for that one annual event and other customers shut down every weekend. So if you tell them uh, an issue on a, a Thursday, they can plan to check it out over the weekend and maybe change things out the following week. So every customer is a little bit different. But the main thing, like I say, is that we're decision support. We're just guiding our customers to uh, look at the things that are the most meaningful to them. Oh, absolutely, and actually, that's, that's funny that you were saying you're saying that um, each customer is different. And obviously, that that's the case. Different machines, different culture, different different everything. But <laughs> what I was going to ask you, one of my questions I was going to ask you is actually to define a predictive maintenance customer in in three words. So I'm going to imagine that's incredibly difficult. But maybe I can gem maybe not in three words, but more of a <laughs> more of a straight answer <laughs> might be easier for you to to expand upon. Uh, yeah, know what to monitor. I think that's four. Oh, well. That's four. But I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> I'm doing the uh, yeah. I'm gonna two words made in America. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, curious data literate. How about that? Oh, that's nice. That's very nice. Can read graph. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, can read graphs. But so, which one? Which one do you want to go with then? Out, out of those. Uh, well, for me, you know, I like the curious um, element of it because, you know, one of the customers I was talking to a few weeks ago was saying that, you know, they had the data, but if they were to spend 10 minutes looking at the data of uh, all of their machines, 
every week, it would take them a week and a half to do it. So uh, all that Sensei is doing for them is to check everything in the background. So it's a scalable system. And the beauty of it is that we might say you've got to look at 10 machines this week. But if you're monitoring a few thousand, that 10 machines um, is, you know, even if some of them don't need to be fixed right now, it's, uh, it's a way of, um, you know, freeing up their time from just going around doing the manual checks, checking, you know, temperatures, taking grease and oil samples, doing the, uh, you know, handheld vibration monitoring or whatever it is they're doing. So that side of things is just automated. And then it leaves, it frees them up to perhaps monitor more equipment, uh, plan the next strategies of what they're going to measure next to bring online and that sort of thing. And actually, that, that point you made actually links back, I guess, fundamentally to why a predictive maintenance tool like Sensei isn't necessarily best equipped well that is best equipped but isn't best utilized when you've got a small number of assets because obviously if you only want mm -hmm. to measure or monitor five five to ten assets and that can just be done on a daily basis or whatever whatever basis but when yeah. when you talk about scalability it's actually and it and i guess it goes beyond just a plant as well i guess in some cases with customers where they can view you know across all of their plants for, for example that's so you mm -hmm. take that idea further as well yeah, I mean, so the beauty of it is you can you can take what's working in one area, and then you can obviously move it across the plant or move it plant to plant. And you can take what's you know the learnings from one site, move them to another site, but also you can take learnings from that second site and improve what was going on in the first one. So it's not necessarily right. This is the way to do it. You guys over there been doing it wrong all, all your life. Um, so I think the. Uh, the cultural side of it in in having people who are open-minded to just improving generally, improving day-to-day, -day, improving how they do things, taking learnings from other sites from, you know, you see things that one customer's doing and you'll go to another customer and say, hey, you know, if you were to, uh, you know, one of the, the tools that we've brought out recently, Derived Measures, which is a, a way of, kind of like edge filtering data, but in our cloud, brilliant for you can pick things up from one site and then actually I could try that over there completely different machines but just the ideas of oh yeah if we if we filter this filter that then we can make some more interesting data for you to monitor and then you can go and you know take actions on it absolutely and I was just picking up on that point because another thing that's maybe mentioned or maybe not overemphasizing our message but it's also about the collaborative nature of of sense mm -hmm. as well which i know i think on the products i was certainly trying to develop that um but i mean especially i guess the big example is through things like microsoft teams as well where you, i guess you can share and that, and people can add comments and reply and, and that kind of thing so do you see like pdm going more in that direction where it's collaborative say across an organization like closing that uh, gap yeah i think it has to be i don't think anybody's got enough skills to do it all in uh you know, I'm not going to name check anyone, but there's, you know, I, I can think of three people maybe in our customer base who can do it all. But generally, you know, the structures that we bring in place are best practices. You know, it's about getting the right people in the room to begin with or, you know, the virtual room, because you need the machine expert who knows what they want to monitor, why things fail. But then you also need somebody who's able to extract data from, you know, the PLC or from, uh, you know, from whatever systems they're using, you 
you're going to need your IT guys to allow that data to, you know, somehow be collected, somehow be transferred. And you need the management to buy in and possibly buy sensors or, you know, pay for the fence by licensing or whatever. So you need that collaborative approach from the get go. And then obviously we're there, we facilitate that collaboration, um, try to help with a cultural shift within the organization often just to, you know, we're trying to uh, make people more productive um, and try to allow them to use their skills in a, a you know, in a slightly new way. So uh, that kind of cultural shift takes a, a, a little bit of a, a conversation at the beginning as well, just to get everybody in a room, collaborate and just say, right, these are the, the people we need, the skills we need. It's more the skills than, than the people to uh, to make this project a success. Yeah, and that's an important point again. It's about the skills because I guess you can't, there's not a cookie cut, cutter approach in terms of when we talk about things like stakeholders because everyone will have slightly different roles and slight, and people will be responsible for for different things as well. So, and I know one thing we've talked about amongst those roles. It's not a specific role, but what we're keen to promote is a Sentai champion as well. So maybe you could sort of explain the benefits of having a champion within um, you know you know when when going ahead with these sort of PDM yeah. projects? I suppose it's, you You need someone um, close to the shop floor who is you know, engaged, incentivized, and has the the skill sets and probably the, uh, the maturity of position to uh, be able to uh, get things done, I suppose. So, They'll, you know, to be able to understand Sensei, the application, what it's telling them, and to be able to perhaps translate that to other people to, you know, oh, you might want to go and fix this bit, go and take an oil sample here or there. Um, but also you want them to be incentivized to like, oh, look, Sensei win, oh, this is great. And, you know, promote that up the way to their management and out to other people within their organization. You know, if, if we've no. got a project that it, it's obviously been purchased by someone, but if the the person who is actually doing all the daily interactions, if it, if you give it to an intern who doesn't know, you know, which part of the maintenance people to go and talk to, can't get anything raised up a priority list if they see something that's beginning to fail, needs an investigation. You know, if it's going to take them six weeks to get something fixed, then chances are the project's not going to uh, to be as successful. Yeah, so they're, they're the people who sort of bring, know the right people within their organization to bring into the conversation at mm -hmm. certain points when certain things happen during a project. They'll know, oh, I need to bring in this person. And then I guess the role of uh, someone like Sensei is to provide them with all the information that information they need in order to, you know, be able to provide that um, feedback to whoever, yeah. whoever they need to within their organization. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the app is automated for things like uh, the KPIs and things like that that they might want to capture and share with management. Um, and it, it might be a case, you know, sometimes we get support tickets in and, you know, all we've got to do is say to the guy, right, you need to go and speak to, you know, this particular person in your organization to uh, to get that problem resolved. You know, if it's like, well, why isn't my machine showing up? You know, why is the data not showing up? And you can say, well, actually, 
the problem is within you know within the factory who uh being remote not much we can do there but you need to go and talk to you know that person from it to get a port unplugged or something like that you know so um we once we go through you know that initial process of getting the right people in the room then once everybody's left the room we can still point people back in the right direction and we can uh, make sure that those lines of communication are open Oh, exactly. And I, I just wanted to touch upon what you were saying about sort of learnings that can, that, that, well, that, that come up during, during a project. And I think you mentioned just before, unless there's something to say, you were saying that there, you had an example of stuff that we learn about, because I guess there's things that we expect to see during a project, but you mentioned about, um, you know, some, something that even you had not seen before. I mean, are you able to give more like examples of, of that, the t both the type of general learnings you'd see from a project, but also maybe from your experience, the, the ones which are, wow, that was, I've not seen that before. <laughs> well, I suppose, I mean, one of the biggest, well, I've not seen that before, is spotting a faulty substation, um, supplying um, electricity into the factory. And it did take a little bit of time to uh, investigate and troubleshoot, but you know, if that had failed, it would have uh, potentially caused a lot of equipment damage and also, you know, shut down the uh, that part of the factory for quite a while as they uh, they fix that. So that was the most that was one of the most interesting things that I've uh, been on the sensei end of investigating, and it was. You know, it's not one of those things that I would never start a project and say, what you must do is monitor these readings because your substation might blow up. You know, that's probably not going to be something that we can replicate anywhere else. But it's um, it's allowing the the algorithms to just alert you to things that are being behaving unusually. And you know, I don't know why that's doing that. That looks like it shouldn't. It wasn't doing that before. It's doing it now. We need to investigate, and then you hook some other bits of equipment up. You go into investigation, and then all of a sudden, you find out it's you know, the local power supplier. So um, that sort of thing is very interesting. But well, I guess the thing I the thing I like most about working for a company like Sensei is that um, we get involved with so many different engineering fields. You know, we can be making talking to somebody making ice creams in the morning or um, smelting aluminium in the afternoon or whatever, you know, um, it's that side of things is fascinating. Yeah. Cause each, each industry has their own, I guess their, their own approaches, their own, you know, their own issues, let's say that <laughs> they have to deal with each day as well. I mean, what, what I wonder when, when um, Sensei, and I know we do case reviews to go through, you know, cases that have been mm -hmm. open to review and make sure that they're, you know, they're not false positive or anything like that. But in terms of, is there a, sometimes a resistance to or scepticism around these cases of, oh, that can't be right because, you know, X, Y, and Z. Is there, is there a lot of that? Or is there more trust in the software than that? Or does that type of thing um, uh, take time to achieve that kind of trust, let's say? That is... Yeah, good question. Uh, again, I guess it depends on uh, different customers. Um, generally, again, this will come down to having the right sensor champion. But yeah, I mean, you want you want somebody there who's data literate who can look at something and think that doesn't make sense. And the other side of that is somebody who will look at something and say, oh, "I'd never want to be told that again." <laughs> like, you know, I don't want that alert. 
you know, I think, you know, so one of the things our, um, like a normally algorithm will do is look back at all the data. And then when the data starts to, you know, become more anomalous, it'll maybe alert you. And, uh, you know, it's a factory with a, a massive um, water pipe in it. And the pipe has been flowing the same flow for like months. And it started to drop a little bit. And uh, the system's like, that's kind of unusual. So open the case. And then the customer's like, oh, you know what? Just that size of pipe, I'm not interested in, in you know, an alert for that amount. So you're like, okay, so I can now, I can go in, I can configure. So for these pipes, never tell me that again. And that's really powerful. But then the other side is you might have something like, well, why has it told me that? And then you look at it and you're like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And so then you go and investigate. And other times, you know, most of the time, you get alerts and you're like, oh, yeah, OK, I know that's what's going on. It's either uh, like early stages of uh, particular failure modes that I'm aware of, or it's maybe, uh, you know, somebody's doing something different with the machines that they haven't done before. And so the data's just changed in a, a way that's unusual. So like, oh, I've, you know, I'm happy to be told that, but I'll ignore that. Or it can be like, I don't really know. Just, let's go and investigate. And I guess with a with a tool like Sensor, is it is it easy to um well is it not easy, but it, how soon can you see sort of a you know start seeing those kind of alerts and, and getting that kind of value from from the system? Uh, well, within a couple of days. Um, so again, I suppose it depends on. Some, I think my favourite thing that I've ever onboarded. We onboarded. Uh, a couple of hundred um, uh, basically overhead conveyors and looking at the data you could see that some of them were outliers from the group so that wasn't perhaps a typical sensei thing because a typical sensei thing is we'll learn what's normal and alert you when it's moving away from normal but with this you could say well you've got uh, out of these few hundred these ones are unusual and so when they investigated them and they realized that um that the they had some issues with the oil in them so uh that was quite interesting so if you onboard a lot of things and then there's an issue you can see that quite easily or early um other times if you're onboarding stuff and you know generally most things that are onboarded are working fine because that's just the way life is you know you, you run your car every week uh, you don't expect it to break down, uh, you know, within the first couple of weeks. So um, that's when you went back to the small number of, uh, if you onboard a small number of assets, if you onboard a small number of assets, the likelihood of you seeing an issue that something like Sensei can detect and give you an early alert on is lower than if you've got, you know, a whole fleet of uh, rental cars. No, exactly. And I guess what, what role does sort of data play in that as well, having the right kind of data where, you know, not in terms of lots of data necessarily, but um, but the mm. right kind of data to help add that additional context, I guess, can only help. Yeah, I suppose data is always, it's the, uh, uh, it, so we want to get data that, is representative of the condition of the equipment that we're monitoring. So what we mean by that is that if the data changes because the 
process of that data changes, we try to remove the process from that data. So if you've got, you know, pressure's going up and it wiggles along and then it goes down and then it goes up and it wiggles along and then it, I'll put my hand back in the middle. <laughs> it kind of, there's a little wiggle and it fails. Then if you want to spot that little wiggle and fail, you're going to have to filter out the big ups and downs. But we can do that. Um, so other times it's about knowing your your equipment, knowing your um, the likelihood of a, a particular failure mode and just monitoring the right stuff so that it doesn't have to be overly complicated, doesn't have to be with, you know, really expensive sensors. So something like I'll say with the, all the wiggly stuff, you might look at if you've got a conveyor, and you've got a current clamp on it, and as the conveyor starts up, the current's going to go to a certain peak and then it's going to run at a, you know, a, a normal somewhere in the middle peak and then it's going to stop when you turn it off. So if you were to monitor that current all the time, you'd get a variable bump frequency like that or a variable reading and it's going to be fairly meaningless. But if you were to take a snapshot of the current, maybe in the first you know, like 30 seconds, the first minute, the first five minutes, however long that ramp is, and just take a characteristic of that, and then the the running current the rest of the time, you'll get two data points, which should be the same over a period of months. And then over the period of months, if that current at the beginning is getting higher and higher and higher, then you think, well, there's something wrong with that machine. And that's kind of the way we do it. The, I mean, the other side of it is you can get you know, nice, expensive vibration monitors. You can um, you know, get the the exact uh, geometric design of the bearings and you can put the sensors on a certain way and you get really you know, specific frequency bands of data and you can say, oh, you know, there's a roller of that bearing that's going to fail in you know, six months time or whatever. Um, so there's two ends of the spectrum, but it's, you know, there's one side is harvesting data that's available and harvesting the data that is um, uh, going to be able to be you know, taken at scale and then realizing that perhaps that data is going to need a little bit more interpretation than that conveyor is going to fail on Tuesday. It's going to be a case of, well, you know, for the last six months, it's been starting up with, you know, three amps and now it's starting up with four amps. So why is it an amp more? And then again, if you've got 200 of them, you know, well, why are those ones taking more current to start up than, than the rest? So, you know, you need to be, I think, sort of about curious. If you're curious about that sort of thing and you're like, oh, why is that current going up? Then those are the, the assets you go and investigate first. Then the other side is with stuff like vibration monitoring. You know, like I say, you can get really specific uh, condition indicators for your machines. But in order to do that, you probably need to have those vibration those vibration sensors wired into the control systems of your machines. It's going to take you, uh, you know, a period of downtime, you know, the weekends or whatever to wire these things in, connect it all up. So the installation costs are quite high. So you can get some really good quality data at a cost, or you can, uh, you know, you can put some cheaper, you know, powered, battery powered vibration monitoring on there or energy harvesting vibration monitoring on there, which will give you lower quality data but it's going to be a lot easier to install. So, you know, the installation cost is going to be, you know, lower, data quality lower. Installation cost high, the aggravation to do it high, really good quality data. 
and I guess we want to be somewhere between you know the two states. So there are going to be some assets that you want really good quality data, and there's other assets that you know you don't really uh, need high quality data for. You just need to um, just to monitor them to see if they're moving away from what's normal for them. Absolutely, I know. I know we're coming up to time here, but I did want to ask a sort of follow up question to that about so when we when we talk about some interesting point about some assets require a lot more data than or different types of data than others. But I guess one thing is you you don't if you have a group of assets that of similar assets. We, I mean, Sensei is quite unique in the sense it treats each asset the same, even though if it could be the same, you know. So maybe sort of explain that concept why we treat each asset sort of differently. Even if they are the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess a, a lot of... Um, but if you buy your machines and they're you know exactly the same age, they've been maintained exactly the same way, um, then they'll probably have a life expectancy of about the same. But what we've found is that um, we tend to get taken on to um, more mature sites. So the, all the assets that you're monitoring have... Uh, a different maintenance history. They've been used for a different amount of time since their last maintenance. They've um, they've just uh, they might be you know moving heavier items or lighter items. They're they're connected to a, you know a different sort of substrate. So you know you might have really good concrete in one area, not so great in the other. Humid. Uh, you might have. You know, welding going on, which puts particles into the atmosphere, which is going to get into the bearing. So there's all there's a, a plethora of reasons why one particular machine might uh, not have quite the same life expectancy as another. And then, like I say, you're not necessarily measuring everything from the start anyway. So our algorithms will work out of the box. But one of the things that we can do is if you have like common failure modes, if you have uh, common data patterns that you're not interested in, then we can configure the algorithms to ignore those or to put more emphasis on certain things. So, um, you know, we treat each uh, individual machine as unique, but we can take the learnings from one particular type of machine and we can uh, use that to help us to diagnose other machines similar to it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, we're slightly over time. Thank you for everyone who sort of stayed on there. I guess, yeah, it does thirty minutes. We used to do longer sessions, but um, yeah, we decided to keep them short and sweet, and they really do fly by. But it's been really interesting to talk to you, Peter. I guess just to just to finish, if you've got sort of a couple of words or a couple of words of advice for people looking to get started with predictive maintenance, just to just to finish on that, would be great. Uh, yeah, I would uh, start with simplish machines that you kind of understand a large number of them because it will take you as long to put one type of machine on as it will to cookie cutter that if you've got 50 of the same sort put all of those on the system so if you've got 50 different types of machine uh you know you're going to have different sensors in different places different data sources if you've got 50 of the same sort of machine it's going to be a, you know a 50th of the effort and you're more likely to see um, common failures in in similar sorts of machines. So scale, go to scale, and don't stop till you're monitoring everything in all your plants. 
and take over the world. <laughs> yes, that's what I want to do. Exactly, exactly. No, really, really good advice and a really good way to end. So, um, so yeah, I'd like to thank everyone for joining today. Hope you enjoyed it. And thank you again to Peter for your insights um, and for joining us on Valentine's Day, most of all. Um, <laughs> and yes, thank you, everyone. And speak to you all again soon, hopefully. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.